This episode of the Supply Chain Brain Podcast is supported by Logility, a leading provider of supply chain optimization and planning solutions. Be sure and stick around after the discussion for a look at the company and what it offers to customers. But now, on to the podcast. You found the right vendor to provide you with a software package for supply chain planning. How do you make sure that the implementation goes as planned? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Selecting the right software vendor is just the first step in an initiative to improve your supply chain planning process. Now you've got to make sure that the whole organization is on board with the project, that everyone agrees on the metrics that will measure your success. This is the second of a two-part discussion about selecting and working with a supply chain planning software provider with Scott Abate, Executive Vice President, Center of Excellence with Logility. We'll learn how to build a business case, share the right data, figure out who should guide the initiative, and ensure its success going forward. Here's our conversation. Scott Abate, welcome back to the show. Good to be back, Bob. Thank you. Great to talk with you. In our previous episode, we talked about how you go about searching and selecting for a supply chain planning provider. We had some very good tips from you on that. But let's assume that we've gone through that process now, Scott. We have found that perfect provider. We're going to start working with them, but there's a lot to keep into consideration. So having chosen that provider, what is the next step? Well, there is, a, as you said, chronologically, there's a logical progression and we need to start at the beginning of an implementation cycle. And implementation, that word can scare people. It shouldn't, but it can scare people. They can think about a process that takes a long time and that has some risk. So the important things to do at the beginning are to plan the implementation carefully, thoughtfully. You've chosen the implementation partner at this point. You've had some good reasons to choose that partner, so let that partner do what they're good at. Let them do what they were chosen to do, and that is carefully plan and then execute an implementation. One thing you need to do with that partner, I mean, you've started on this in the beginning. We talked earlier about the need to develop some good KPIs, key performance indicators, even before you select this particular entity. But now you've got the entity and you've got to align with them on KPIs and expectations. Give me some tips on how you go about doing that. One thing is putting a stake in the ground right at, at this point in time because you need a record. And this sounds so basic, but 90% of companies don't have a record. They might go two, three years into their new supply chain planning system, and they don't have a record of what their key metrics were when they started and what they are now. So they can't see, they have an impression that things are better. Of course, you know, yeah, my forecast accuracy is better, my costs are lower, they have impressions, but they don't have the facts to support it. And it's as simple as putting a stake in the ground at this point in time when you're kicking off an implementation of what those key metrics are, what your measurements are today, and having some kind of an analytic 
player, a dashboard, something that will simply record, catalog, measure, and allow you to display and slice and dice those metrics out into the future forever so we can see how we're doing. Mm -hmm. But they're starting off on the same page. I guess that helped. That's done by making those expectations clear in the selection process, right? So the theoretically, at least, this planning system that you've decided to adopt already knows what you expect of them. That's right, help. and it was it was chosen based on expected ability to deliver value realization. So, of course, the KPIs that you're expecting to improve, there aren't going to be any surprises. And there is every reasonable expectation that all those KPIs will improve and will improve rapidly. So it should be very measurable going forward. And that's a wonderful thing. However, selecting a supply chain planning partner, it isn't like buying widgets. I mean, you're not, it's not a transactional thing entirely. Yeah, there, there's much talk about the need for some level of depth of collaboration with that provider. That leads to the question of how much information, how much proprietary information for that matter, do you share with your newfound provider? And what for that matter might you feel like you need to hold back, if anything? Well, it's a close relationship. So things like financial performance and uh, KPIs, even if they're not pretty, need to be shared so that they can be improved, right? We can only improve those things if we can measure them, have access to them, understand root causes of problems, uh, remove obstacles that are in the way because companies typically rely on spreadsheets way too much to run their supply chain. That becomes an obstacle when you're implementing an end-to-end -end integrated solution because that end-to-end -end integrated solution is designed to replace spreadsheets human nature being what it is, people don't easily change. There has to be a close relationship in order to generate results and in order to remove obstacles that are sitting in the way. We talked in our previous episode about how you find that individual who's charged with the whole project of selection. Now we have to think about who is the individual in the organization who manages this system and the system provider on an ongoing basis? What level of the company is that individual at? What entitle-wise or responsibility-wise typically? There is interaction on a number of levels, but in an implementation process, there is a project manager, no surprise. There's the idea of a project manager working for the organization that is implementing the software, and there is a project manager from the vendor who is supplying and helping configure. Now, that vendor could be the software vendor, or it could be a systems integrator, a third party. That's an important decision to be made. Some folks feel that well, of course, the vendor knows their software. They're best qualified to implement it. And then there's another school of thought that says systems integrators are more objective and, and more experienced at working with the vendor and with the company harmoniously. So it's an important decision to make. But either way, there will be two project managers, a project manager for the company implementing the software and a project manager for the company making all the recommendations on how to implement. And there will be an executive steering committee that would stay in place. So different levels of the organization, executive steering committee, leadership, and project management all have lines of communication. 
the implication is that the vendor stays in the picture on an ongoing basis. We haven't just purchased a piece of software, which we then load up and run without any continuing conversations or communications with the vendor that provided the software in the first place. Is that, in fact, the case? Is it still important for us to remain in constant contact with the vendor going forward? Very much so. If you think about it, the vendor will have responsibilities to deliver new releases, to fix uh, bugs, to close tickets, to just do all the day-in and day-out things that they should be very, very capable of doing, very good at doing, and that that really no one else can do. So even if there is a third-party systems integrator involved, the vendor will still be involved. But if there is a systems integrator or a third party, then the vendor's role is a little less or maybe a lot less than it would otherwise be. So that's Another consideration in the calculus of whether to use a third-party systems integrator, whether to just rely on the vendor for the entire project. This is sort of what I was asking you before about who in the organization oversees the vendor, but it's also a question of like who in the organization, quote-unquote, owns the plan. Who's the person or the, uh, the department or the level of function within a supply chain that is responsible for that, that that would then be the main point of contact with the vendor of the supply chain planning system? Typically, that happens at a high level within the organization because it is a strategic investment and it's an ongoing investment. So I would expect to see somebody in a senior vice president, executive vice president, or maybe even a chief supply chain officer or chief operating officer as the main point of contact or the primary owner of that relationship. And I would expect them to have an equally high level of contact within the vendor organization. So that there's a sort of a, a point-to-point, a common understanding between those two owners. Okay, we did talk about KPIs and the like, but I want to dig a little deeper into this because in our last episode, we talked about how you identify the value. Now we need to talk about how you realize the value once that vendor is in place. Can you talk more about how you monitor this vendor and the system going forward, how often you should review the relationship, what should the review involve, just how do you stay on top of it and make sure that you are realizing the value that you identified at the very beginning of the project? You're describing continuous improvement, and I love that. It is such an essential part of this whole process. There can be a fallacy that you go live. You hear the term go live. We're going to go live on May 15th, and and <laughs> if that date is carved the in switch, stone, right? <laughs> and all kinds of things are going, magical things are going to happen when you go live. Now, the truth is go live is a milestone because at that point the system is running and the data is flowing and people are using the software, but that is – It's only a milestone. You could actually make an argument that at the time of go live, there really hasn't yet been a single dollar of value realization. Now, there could be some along the way, and and there probably should be, but the majority of the value has yet to be realized. So recognizing that, there needs to be continuous improvement. I call it a quarterly interaction, maybe even monthly in the early stages, where you go and look at any kind of a dashboard or analytics or view of the KPIs, you go and look at whatever mechanism is being used to measure and monitor KPIs, and you look for continuous improvement opportunities. And so it could be that inventory turns aren't reacting the way they were expected to at this point in time. So we go about 
doing what we all do so well. We solve the problem. We look at look for the root cause. We figure out, is it the inventory targets? Is it the batch sizes that we're running? Is it the lead time variability of the suppliers? We look for the cause and then put a plan in place to address it and repeat that process over and over. Again, maybe it's every month in the early stages and then every quarter after that, but a cadence for continuous improvement, which could take you in a variety of directions. It could take you looking at inventory in one interaction and a quarter later, we could be looking at user adoption. Then that's fine. That's the intention of it. But it it goes on forever, never stops. Why should it ever stop? Yeah, but I would think at the very top of the organization, the CEO or the executive committee or something, maybe they think all they want to know is, did your plan reflect actual demand? Not too much, not too little, yes or no. Now, you're suggesting that there's a nuanced answer to that question, (laughs) that it's not the failure of the system necessarily if it didn't. But I guess it's a little bit of a challenge to communicate the nuance to your senior management when the plan does not. And, of course, it's often said that the plan is never going to be 100%. When it doesn't reflect reality, how you kind of continue to communicate that to the upper level without it necessarily reflecting poorly on the system itself. Yeah. So there's the old saying, people, process, technology, and data. All those things have to be in balance, in harmony for the results to come flowing in as expected. And Mm -hmm. so I think senior leaders have a good appreciation for that, Bob. At this point in time, they they understand that transformation on a large scale takes time. It will have some twists and turns and that it is people, process, technology, and data. And that a course correction, a continuous improvement could be any any combination of those four things. I give yeah. senior leaders great credit for understanding that. And in fact, for rolling up their sleeves and getting involved when there is a problem to be solved. So, Scott, how has the whole supply chain planning function changed in recent years? There's been a lot of differences out there. Tell me about what supply chain planning is today as opposed to what it used to be. Oh, great. I'm going to use a little story to illustrate a point. We're going to go car shopping here visually, mentally. Okay. Uh, we're going to go car <laughs> shopping. We're going to look for a high-end electric vehicle because we want to be socially responsible or maybe we just don't want to pay for gasoline. So we narrow our choice down to a Tesla Model S Plaid or a Porsche Taycan. So we start comparing them. We make a little T-chart on a piece of paper to, in order to make our final decision. We start comparing them and we say, oh, the Tesla Model S Plaid, it's a four-door sedan. I could put two car seats in the back. I could take four adults on a road trip. So that might go in the plus column. On the other hand, the Porsche, It is not a four-door sedan. It is a stunning car that you would be happy to be seen driving around in. How fast are they? Well, the Tesla's a little faster. The Tesla goes zero to 60 in um, 1.9 seconds. Wow, you're going 60 miles an hour. It hits a quarter mile at under 10 seconds. Taycan's a little slower, not bad, but the only thing you wouldn't want to do in that Taycan is mess with a Tesla. You could mess with anything else, but don't mess with a Tesla. You can go on and on and make this comparison, but Bob, you, me, anyone listening to this podcast, we know the real way that we're going to determine on which car to buy is we're going to go see who runs a better supply chain. And so when we go look at Tesla and Porsche's supply chain, uh, Reuters wrote a very interesting article about Tesla a year ago, and they said that Tesla, they, they interviewed Tesla's suppliers, they looked at Tesla's financial results. 
and they saw a very, very healthy company. And they found out from the suppliers that Tesla was very good at buffering their inventory. So things like chips that were in short supply, obviously, Tesla buffered them. But Tesla also, they did a second thing. They had alternate sources of supply for every component that goes into the Tesla Model S, an alternate source of supply. So those cars are built in California. They had a global network of suppliers where they could get any chip, any part, whether mechanical, not any part, alternate sourced. In other words, they spent a lot of time identifying, onboarding, and certifying two vendors for every one part. They didn't have to do that, but they did it. Porsche, on the other hand, had to stop production of the Taycan for about four weeks during the middle of 2022 because they could not get a wiring harness. Just a mechanical, Mm. not a chip, not a camera, not a sensor, a wiring harness that maybe costs $150 each. And they lost a half a billion dollars of sales by having to pause that production. Take-in runs about $180,000, by the way. So when you figure that those weeks of production, that's a lot of revenue that they forfeited because they did not have an alternate source. And they admitted that wiring harness is single source and they did not have an all, they could not pivot and find an alternate source for four weeks, five weeks, whatever the number of weeks was. So two different supply chains And this drives home the point that you have to think with some vision when you're thinking about automating a resilient supply chain like Tesla's. And I would argue that if you could take in your organization as a leader, if you could take your organization and have sourcing and procurement converge with planning, converge from the sense of working together in a single platform in order to onboard vendors efficiently, in order to be able to have two sources of supply for every component part that you need, and to have them onboarded, certified, up and running, quality tested, efficiently, keep them both happy with some business, and if you could establish inventory buffers at the right points in a production ramp up, that your resiliency would be, you could beat anything that would come along. You could beat any disruption that could come along in the future. So it would be extremely well worth it to follow the Tesla model. And you would need a supply chain planning platform that could tie in, bring in on that same platform sourcing and procurement. Otherwise, it wouldn't work, right? Your planning system might be sitting there wanting two sources of supply for components, but your procurement team isn't able to find them, identify them, test them, certify them, and onboard them. So having sourcing, procurement, and planning all working together as a single team toward a single goal of resiliency 
is one of the big, I don't know, visionary things that I've seen come along as a result of the pandemic. And I am a huge believer in it. And I think an example like Tesla proves that it's workable, that it's the thing to do. And certainly a lesson that a lot of companies have learned in the last several years. So I would imagine that they're going to be following more the Tesla model going forward if they're smart, right? Absolutely. It has been talked about. McKinsey talks about it. Gartner, a lot of folks talk about having a strong alternate sourcing strategy. But Bob, I will disagree with you a little bit. I don't see companies latching on to it. I think maybe intuitively, they probably know it would be a smart thing to do. I don't think the typical billion dollar plus manufacturing company knows where to start when it comes to setting up an alternate sourcing program, putting it into operation and using it, planning around those alternate sources of supply, planning to use those alternate sources of supply appropriately. I don't think companies know how to do it yet. I really don't. Maybe what they are doing is simply a more short-sighted thing, simply throwing in some more buffer inventory, saying that'll protect us. We'll just have a little more inventory on hand without giving any real thought to the need for supplier diversification. Yes, Definitely. But with interest rates going up, 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 so working capital is now becoming much more valuable. Mm. And so that inventory is being pressed. You know, the era of free money is over. That inventory is getting squeezed by finance. It's a big problem. Scott, tell me about Legility and where it is in the marketplace today and, and what it's offering in this whole area of supply chain planning. Well, thank you for the opportunity to do that. Legility is a unique organization, been around longer than all others, roughly 50 years, if you can believe it, with under singular vision and ownership. Roots are in uh, Georgia Tech and industrial engineering folks who invented the first algorithms for things like demand plans and safety stock plans. A history that we're all very proud of, but a very modern organization that has invested, stayed focused on what we do well, supply chain planning, and invested in it at a very high level year in and year out. So to keep the technology fresh, to keep the technical debt low, and to essentially to do things that drive value, as you would have guessed from all my comments about value realization, value creation. So Legility is an organization focused on supply chain planning with an intent to enable each client to achieve their value goals and to maintain that value over uh, the life of the relationship, which we hope is very, very long. We hope the relationship with each client goes on and on forever. And that it's simply based on value creation, value generation. Well, Scott, those are some fantastic insights into the evolution of planning and how to find a planning provider in this current environment of uncertainty and risk. And also our previous conversation on how to even go about selecting that provider. I want to thank you so much for these conversations. I've learned a lot, a great deal from them. Thank you very much for being with me and also for telling me a little bit about Legility in the, in the process. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Bob. It's been a pleasure. That was my conversation with Scott Abate of Legility, talking about how to successfully implement supply chain planning software. We thank Legility for sponsoring this episode. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com. 
where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including a digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. Also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.